0: Joy to worship christ with you this morning and we want to thank the praise team for leading us in those songs of praise and thank you brian for uh, presiding for sharing with us we do look forward to seeing you out tonight at the baptism service that is a great joy for us as a church to celebrate the salvation of new believers and to also remember uh, the greatness of god's grace in our salvation so uh, we do encourage you to make it out tonight Well, if you have your Bibles, please open them to uh, Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4, and the text of Scripture we would like to look at is Philippians 4 verses 14 to 20, and I've entitled this message, Paul's Thanksgiving for the Philippians Gift. Paul's Thanksgiving for the Philippians Gift. Let's read together from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. Paul writes this. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift... But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Thanksgiving is a beautiful attitude, isn't it? We are called as Christians to be continually thankful. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, we are to be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there was anyone who modeled this attitude of thanksgiving, it would have been Paul. Here is Paul, the apostle, and he is in a Roman prison. He awaits trial and potential execution. He's in a time of great uncertainty. And yet, as he writes this letter to the Philippian church, he opens the letter with an expression of thanksgiving. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul was a thankful man. His heart had been transformed by the grace of God in the salvation he'd experienced. His heart had been transformed through faith in Christ, In the crucified Messiah, he had been forgiven of all his sins. He had been given an eternity in heaven, and so he gave thanks in all circumstances, even in prison. Even in this time of tremendous trial, his heart was filled with thankfulness to the Lord. And what we see as we come to the end of the book of Philippians is that Paul not only began his letter with a word of thanksgiving, he ends the letter with a word of thanksgiving as well. In our passage this morning, Philippians 4, verses 14 to 20, Paul expresses his thanksgiving for a gift that the Philippians had sent to him. The Philippians had sent to Paul a gift in Rome. They had sent the servant Epaphroditus, who seems to be a member of the Philippian church, and they had sent him some 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. And Epaphroditus had come bringing this gift to Paul. And Paul wants to express his gratitude, his thanksgiving to the church for the generous gift that they have sent. You'll notice in verse 17 that Paul mentions the gift. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And in verse 18, he mentions the gift again. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And so the Philippians has sent to Paul a gift. This was an expression of their love for Paul. This was an expression of their faith in Christ. It was an expression of their love and concern that the gospel ministry go forward. It wasn't so much that they were giving to Paul, just Paul individually, but it was that they were committed to the progress of the gospel, and Paul was a means of that. And so in a tangible way, they were seeking to support Paul as he preached the gospel As we look at verse 15, we see that this giving from the Philippians was characteristic of their church. This wasn't the first time that they gave. They had given throughout their ministry and their history as a church. Paul says in verse 15, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again and those terms giving and receiving those are interesting terms because they come from the world of commerce they are accounting terms they speak of the debits and the credits of an accounting ledger and what these terms indicate to us is that the gifts that the Philippians had sent were indeed financial in nature they were monetary gifts that were given for the support of gospel ministry. Paul says in verse 15, or verse 16, he says, you sent these gifts not just once, not just twice, but once and again, indicating the repeated nature of their giving. The Philippians believed in Christ. They had placed their faith in the Lord Jesus and they were expressing their love and their faith through the financial giving to the support of the gospel. Now, as we come to this passage, I just realize that we are talking here about a passage that deals with giving. This passage deals with the subject of giving to the ministry of the gospel. And I think there are different ways that we could approach this subject. I know that immediately when I said that, a lot of your hearts, your guards went up. you saying, oh no, Dan's going to ask us to give. He's going to make appeals for more giving. And let me just talk you through. There are some ways that we could approach this subject. We could approach this subject through, first of all, the means of emotional manipulation. You know, when we talk about giving, we could just try to manipulate you as the church, just kind of whip you up into frenzy or show some slideshows or videos or give testimonies where we cry and just, just try to emotionally move you so that you open your pocketbooks. I mean, that's one way we could approach this topic, and I'm sure there are people who have done that throughout the history of the church. A second way we could approach this topic is to address this topic from a legalistic standpoint. And what I mean by that is just we could approach this topic by just legislating the amount of giving each member of Cornerstone is expected to give. I mean, it's just part of your membership covenant. If you become a member of this church, you are expected to give this percentage, this amount at this set schedule. And I remember growing up in a church where they gave out um, offering envelopes that had dates on them. You're expected to take these home and on the dates that you came to church, you're expected to fill the the envelope and give it to the church. And I suppose we could approach this topic in that way, just legislate giving, just give set requirements for each member of Cornerstone. A third way we could approach this topic is through the means of guilt and shame. I'm sure I could just stand up here and just, just make you feel guilty for the things that you own. Just point out all the people in this world who have less than what you have and just make you feel guilty for living in California and the United States and Orange County and just manipulate you through guilt into giving to the Lord. Well, these are all ways that this topic has been addressed in the past and these would all be Ways we could address the topic of giving. But what I want you to see is that in this text, in Philippians 4, verses 14 to 20, Paul uses none of those approaches to to approach the topic of giving. He doesn't emotionally manipulate the Philippian church into giving more and more of their financial resources. He doesn't legalistically legislate a certain amount of giving that the church is expected to give for the ministry of the gospel. And in no way does he shame them or make them feel guilty for the lifestyles that they are able to live. Paul uses none of those approaches when he tackles the topic of giving. Instead, in this text, what we see is that Paul approaches the topic of giving from the standpoint of Gratitude. It is gratitude that is the main focus in this text. In other words, let me make this real clear. The purpose of this text is not so much to appeal to the Philippians to give more of their resources. The appeal in this text is for the Philippians to understand Paul's heart of gratitude for gifts they have already given. You will read this passage and find no requests for additional giving. You'll find no appeals for the Philippians to sacrifice more than they have already sacrificed. In fact, Paul seems to almost cut that off saying, I'm well supplied. I've received full payment. I'm content. I, I can't be any more blessed than I am right now. And instead of focusing on the future and what he, wa- he would want the church to give, Paul focuses on the past. And he says, the gifts that you have sent to me in my imprisonment and also at the beginning of my ministry when you first heard the gospel, I'm grateful I am a grateful man because of your generous giving. And you know, this morning, that is the approach I want to take with you, brothers and sisters at Cornerstone, members of Cornerstone. I don't want to use the approach of emotional manipulation, legalistic legislation, or guilt and shame. I want to just express gratitude. And my approach is not so much to appeal to you to give more in the future. My appeal is for you to see that the gratitude that is in the hearts of those who have been blessed and benefited for the giving you have given in the past. And if the Holy Spirit uses that to do a work in your heart and you feel motivated to give more in the future, I'll leave that to the work of the Holy Spirit. My heart is to really reflect the purpose of this text, which is to communicate gratitude. And I want to communicate gratitude to you, the members of Cornerstone. You know, the 13 years of the history of this church, you, the members of Cornerstone, have given to gospel ministry. You have given sacrificially. You have given faithfully. You have given generously. And God has used that giving for the furtherance of his gospel. God has used that giving so that the word can be preached. It's because you gave that the scriptures have been opened and the word has been preached and the gospel has been explained and all the truths that we have come to hold dear. It's because of your giving that those things have been allowed to take place. It's because of your giving that Christ has been exalted. It's because of your giving that we've been able to meet as a corporate assembly here in the church and join our hearts in praise to the Christ who has redeemed us. And yes, God is sovereign. And yes, ultimately this church, this ministry is an expression of the sovereign will of God. And yet our God is also a God who uses means. And the means that he has used for the furtherance of the gospel has been your giving. It's been your giving that God has used. God has used your giving to train up leaders. God has used your giving to encourage weak believers. God has used your giving to send missionaries so that the gospel can be proclaimed in lands who needs to hear it. And my heart is to express what is in this text, just a heart of gratitude, to thank you, members of Cornerstone, for giving so faithfully. And we understand that your gift your giving has come at a sacrifice. We understand that every gift that you have given for the furtherance of the gospel has come at the price of something else you could have spent those resources on. And some of you need to be encouraged because maybe some of you have forgotten how much your giving has meant. Maybe some of you feel that giving is just a routine or it's just something that we do and you've lost perspective of how much the Lord has used it and how much the Lord has blessed it and how much it means before in the ministry of the gospel and in the perspective of God. And some of you need to be encouraged that the Lord has used your giving in ways that you probably will not understand until you get to heaven. You know when the little boy brought his two loaves and his uh, his loaves and fishes to Jesus, and Jesus took that little offering and he just multiplied it into a feast for thousands. And in many ways, that is what the Lord does with our giving. We bring our meager gifts, and the Lord uses that for the proclamation of the gospel and. That gospel goes forward into people's lives and makes an eternal impact and those lives go on to impact others and it's just a multiplication of blessings that is connected to your giving. And some of you need to be encouraged that there are no small gifts in the economy of God. There are no small gifts. It's not just the great large gifts that the Lord blesses. It's the small gifts as well. Luke chapter 21, there came a poor widow who put two copper coins in the offering and Jesus said that she gave more than all the others because she gave sacrificially and with a heart of worship. Some of you need to be encouraged that it's not the amount so much that the Lord is pleased by, but it's the attitude It's the heart of love and sacrifice. And so I just want to communicate to you the perspective that's in this text. It's just a perspective of gratitude, a perspective of thanksgiving. And I believe Paul had this perspective because he was a shepherd and he was a pastor. You know, the true heart of any pastor is a pastor is not so much concerned about the finances of the church than he is about the spiritual welfare of the church. You know, this was the heart of Paul. In verse 17, he says, I don't seek the gift. It's not that I seek the gift itself. I'm seeking the profit that accrues to your account. You know, I'm more interested that you prosper spiritually than I am that I prosper materially. A true pastor cares more about the spiritual prosperity of his people than he does about the material prosperity of the church's ministry. And so Paul could say that I'm just grateful and I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to squeeze every dime out of your pockets. I'm just, I'm just grateful. And if you didn't give anything more, I'd be content. I'm well supplied. I've received full payment. And I think Paul could Expressed this heart of gratitude because, in the end, he trusted in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he just trusted that the Holy Spirit's going to lead and guide the church, that the Spirit's going to prompt them to give when opportunities arrive. So he didn't need to resort to manipulation, he didn't need to resort to strong appeals. He could just leave that in the hands of the Holy Spirit and he could say, whatever our situation I am, I'm, in, I'm content. And so here, Paul expresses the gratitude of a shepherd who dearly loves his flock. And as he does so, he gives to the church three encouraging perspectives as to what their giving has meant. Three encouraging perspectives that can be applied to any gospel giving. I would say that these are perspectives I would apply to you members of Cornerstone who have given to the ministry of the gospel. First of all, Paul says that Their giving was an act of fellowship. Their giving was an act of fellowship. In verse 14, Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you'll notice that little conjunction yet. Paul's making a gentle correction here. He's just talking about how content he was in Christ, how he's so content in any and every circumstance. And imagine if you went, to a birthday party and brought this great gift to the birthday boy. And he went to great pains to bring him that gift and he opened the present and he said, oh, you know, in whatever situation I am, I've learned to be content. I said, well, that's great for your spiritual welfare, but what about my present? Don't you care about my present? And Paul brings this correction here. He says, I'm content, I'm satisfied, I'm joyful in Christ, yet you know what, Philippians, it was kind of you to send me this gift. It was kalos in the Greek. It was noble, commendable, excellent. It was a beautiful thing that you did. I'm just commending the expression of love that was in your heart. It was a kind thing for you to send Epaphroditus to me. And yeah, I w- I'm content and I'm resting in Christ, but... I'm also just so grateful for your love and your concern. And you know here in verse 14, he says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. That word share is a very important word. It is the Greek term, which is related to the Greek term koinonia. It's a word that describes a fellowship or a commonality or a unity or a relational bond. Paul is saying here is that through the ministry of this gift, you were fellowshipping with me when I was in time of trouble. You were here with me in prison. You were absent in body, but present in spirit. You were with me in my time of trouble. And and I wasn't alone because I knew your hearts were with me. Paul says he was in a time of trouble. He was in a time of thalipsis, a time of pressure, affliction, difficulty, stress. And he was undergoing all these trials, and yet he says, I, was, I had fellowship. I had the love and the companion of the church because the Philippian church cared for me. How encouraged Paul must have been when he saw Epaphroditus. I mean, how encouraged must he have been just to see this dear brother come to him and just bring news of the Philippians' love and care and concern and that they love you, Paul, and they're praying for you. And here is a gift that demonstrates their concern. We tend to think of fellowship in one dimensional terms fellowship is eating a donut together, fellowship is hanging out over dessert. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that fellowship is also expressed in giving to the Lord. You know, when you give, you are fellowshipping with the saints. You are expressing your love and concern for your dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And think about it. On a given Sunday, you might fellowship with five to ten believers in the space of four or five hours. But when you give, you are fellowshipping with dozens of believers, even hundreds of believers. God is taking your gift and He's using it to multiply blessing to believers, not only here but all the way around the world. And your giving is an act of fellowship. Cornerstone, I would just say that the, the giving you have done in the last 13 years has been an act of fellowship. I would just say thank you for giving. Because in your giving, you have communicated your love and your concern for all the saints in the church. So, the first perspective is that giving is an act of fellowship. The second perspective Paul gives is that giving is an act of investment. And giving is an act of investment. Paul says in verse 15, And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul is recounting the history of the Philippian church. He's going back to the beginning stages when they received the gospel. And he's saying, I remember when you first heard the gospel, you immediately expressed your faith in Christ in giving to the furtherance of gospel ministry. And in verse 16, he says, Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. You know, we could trace the history of our church for the last 13 years, and I don't know all the records. The Lord knows, and the Lord sees. But I do know enough to know that you have given, not only once, but once and again. Not only sporadically, but continually, repeatedly. Not only, you didn't wait till you became mature for you to give. You immediately expressed your love for this church by by giving to the furtherance of the gospel. And as Paul recounts the history of the Philippian church, he doesn't want his motives to be misunderstood. And so he says in verse 17, very interestingly, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You know, any time a spiritual leader starts talking about giving, there can be a misunderstanding. Oh, he's after our money. He's afflicted by greed. He's into material prosperity. And Paul doesn't want this to be misunderstood. He says, you know what? In the end, I'm not seeking the gift. I don't need any more money. I'm not seeking a gift for myself. Brothers and sisters, I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. You know, when you give, you are investing in the spiritual prosperity of your own souls, and that is what I'm after: is your blessing, is your growth, is your prosperity in the Lord. And here, Paul is just expressing, as I said, the true desire of any pastor, the pastor, the shepherd cares for the spiritual prosperity of his people. He wants the church to grow and to mature in the Lord. 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. My greatest joy is not in the gift. My greatest joy is to see that you are spiritually healthy. And yeah, your gift is an expression of the vitality of your soul, so I am rejoicing In that, but I'm not seeking the gift. I'm not a man who is a lover of money. I'm seeking the prosperity of your souls. And what Paul is saying here, I believe, is he's taking the Philippians back to the basic teaching that is throughout the New Testament. And that is this, that when you give to gospel ministry, you are investing in your own Heavenly rewards. When you give to gospel ministry, you are investing in your own heavenly rewards. This is just basic. This is te- this is simple. This is repeated throughout the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen, "Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." Luke twelve verse thirty three, sell your possessions and give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In first Timothy six seventeen, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Giving financially is laying up treasures in heaven. It is laying up treasures in heaven that will not pass away and that will not perish. It is the wisest and the surest and the most long-lasting investment that you can make in this life. If you invest and try to lay up treasures in this life, moth and rust will come and destroy those treasures. But if you lay up treasures in heaven, there will be no thief who can approach and no moth that can destroy. When you give financially, you are laying up treasures for yourself. You might be saying, wait a second, Dan, aren't we all um, equal in heaven? Aren't we all just perfect in heaven? So what's the motivation to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? And I'll just point you to the fact that yes, we are all equal in heaven when it comes to our glorification. In terms of our Christ-likeness, we will all be perfect in heaven and we will all be perfect in joy and perfect in contentment. But at the same time, there will be believers who have more eternal rewards because they've been more faithful in the stewardship of their financial resources. They have spent their lives laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. And there will be believers who have less eternal reward because they were less faithful with their financial resources. The scriptures teach us that, yes, we are equal in heaven in terms of our glorification, but we are not all equal in terms of our eternal reward. And to assume that we are all equal in terms of our eternal reward would rip out the motivating factor in this text where Jesus says, I want you to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. As you give financially, as you give sacrificially, you are increasing, amassing, laying up treasures for yourself that you will never lose. That will never pass away. You will carry them for all eternity And I believe that is why Paul would say in this text, I'm seeking the profit to your account. I'm just rejoicing because I know, Philippians, that as you gave for the ministry of the gospel, you just amassed for yourself an eternal reward. And that is what I'm after. That's what I care about. I want you to be rich. I want you to be blessed. Giving financially is laying up treasures in heaven. This is the... Surest investment you will ever make. This is better than Apple stock. This is better than the Facebook IPO. This is an investment that you will never lose. And I believe that part of this reward will be seeing people in heaven who are impacted by our giving. You know, have you ever thought about that, how amazing that will be? To get to heaven and to meet saints who are there for eternity and their presence there is connected to a gift you gave I mean that's a reward you will all eternity I mean it's one thing to be worshipping with all the saints of all eternity and it's another to know certain names certain individuals in that great company of heaven that you know they were there because you gave I believe that this is what Jesus is speaking of in Luke 16, 9, where he says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. Some of you are going to give in this life. And when you get to heaven, there are going to be saints there who are welcoming you there. And they're going to be there because you. You gave. Now, ultimately, they're going to be there because of the sovereign will of God. Ultimately, they're going to be there because God called them and chose them. But the means by which God used them to, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ was your financial giving. I mean, some of you, you're going to give and God is going to take that gift and he's going to invest it in some children's ministry somewhere and some child is going to hear the gospel and he's going to place his faith in Christ and that child is going to go and grow up to share the gospel with others and other people are going to be saved. And all of those people are going to be people that were impacted by your gift. And that's the reward you're going to carry for all eternity. You'll never lose that, to know that you were part of that. God used you for that. Some of you are going to give, and God is going to use that gift and the investing of training of leaders, and those leaders are going to go out and preach the gospel and win souls for Christ. And there are going to be dozens, hundreds of people who may be impacted through their ministries. And those souls are going to be souls who will be in heaven because you gave. I mean, who knows how the Lord will use our giving? Who knows how many people we will meet in heaven who will have been impacted by the gifts we give? And so when we give to the Lord, we are laying up treasures in heaven for ourselves. Jesus says, lay it up for yourselves. You say, Dan, isn't that selfish? It's, it's not sinfully selfish if Jesus tells you to do it. He's appealing to your... Heart. Will you invest in this life or will you invest in eternity? And Paul's just saying, I want your profit to increase. You might be saying, Dan, do I have to wait till heaven until I get blessed through my giving? No. You know, the scriptures also say that not only does our giving increase our rewards in heaven, our giving also increases our blessing here on earth. Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Luke six thirty-eight. give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Proverbs 11, verse 24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will himself be watered. The Lord has a way of blessing those who give. And this blessing isn't a meritorious thing. It isn't that you are earning blessings. It is a, is a giving is a means of grace. It is a means by which God infuses the Christian life with the blessings that we do not de- deserve and that we have not earned. And so Paul is saying here that I care more about the fruit that increases to your account. You know, brothers and sisters, may that be true of any time, any time your shepherds here, any time we give to you an opportunity to give. May that be true of us. As the heart of verse 17 is made apparent. We care more about your, the fruit that increases to your account than we do about the gift itself. We care more. We're we're presenting this opportunity because we want you to be blessed. The Lord doesn't need your money. The Lord owns everything. But it's an opportunity for you to lay up treasures in heaven. It's opportunity for you to experience blessing in this life. And may we say as shepherds that we care more about the fruit that increases to your account Than we do about the gift itself. Paul says the first perspective is that giving is an act of fellowship. He says the second perspective is that giving is an act of investment. And then the third and final perspective is found in verse 18. And that is that giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then he calls the Philippians' gift a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Let me just shepherd you here for a moment. You know, if all our giving was, if all it was, was an act of worship, it would be worth it. If we took all of your offerings on a Sunday morning and then at snack time we had a bonfire and just put them in the fire and burned them up and said, this is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I mean, if that wasn't what the New Testament called us to do, it would be worth it simply because it was an act of worship. Just because it would please God. If this third factor, this third motivating factor was the only thing that we could say, your giving is an act of worship, that's all I think we would need as Christians. And yet the truth is that in the New Testament economy that our giving is more than that. God takes those, giving, those gifts and he multiplies them for the blessings of others. He takes those dollars and he spreads them around the, the globe and he uses them for the eternal impact of souls. But if, if verse 18 was all that it was, it'd be worth it. He says to the Philippians, it's, it's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice. Forget about me. Forget about what, how it encourages my heart. It pleases God. The sacrifice that you have made. Paul uses Old Testament language to describe this imagery of sacrifice. For example, in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, God described the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The sacrifice was offered and the sacrifice was a fragrance that was pleasing to God. And Paul says that the Philippians' gift was a pleasing sacrifice. Hebrews 13, verse 6 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know, in the Old Testament, the sacrifices of animals were a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. The sacrifice of bulls and and goats and lambs were a foreshadowing, a preview of the ultimate sacrifice that Christ would make on the cross, which would be the ultimate unblemished sacrifice that would please the Father because it was perfect. Perfect. And now that Christ has come and offered the ultimate sacrifice, those Old Testament sacrifices have been done away with. We no longer need to offer the blood of bulls and goats and lambs because Christ has for one time, for all time, offered a single sacrifice for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. Yet here we are in the New Testament era and Paul says that we too offer sacrifices to the Lord. We don't offer sacrifices which add to Christ's work. We don't offer sacrifices which supplement what he has done. But we do offer sacrifices which seek to honor Christ's work, which seek to please the Father who loves us. Not seeking to earn our way into the Father's acceptance, but simply to please his heart. And Paul says, your giving was a pleasing sacrifice. You know, that's just what I would affirm to you, members of Cornerstone. I would affirm to you this morning that your faithful giving over the last 13 years has been a pleasing sacrifice unto the Lord. And whether that's the regular faithful giving you have given on a Sunday morning, or whether it's special giving to opportunities such as laying the foundation or short-term missions or the deacon's fund, your giving is ultimately, and in the end, it is an act of worship. It is the response of a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God. It is a heart that simply wants to love and to please God, not for anything else, but simply because He has loved us so much He has sent His Son to die for our sins. And so in verse 19, Paul ends with this final word of affirmation. He says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours, whether it be spiritual in nature or whether it be physical in nature, will be supplied by our good and faithful Father. I remind you this morning that the Philippians were not rich. The city of Philippi was in the larger region of Macedonia and Macedonians, the Macedonians, 2 Corinthians 8 says that they were in a season of affliction and great poverty. And yet Paul says that God is going to be faithful to you. You will not be able to outgive his provision. My God, that's personal. My God will supply every, that's comprehensive, all needs of yours according to his riches. And glory in Christ Jesus. As Psalm 37:25 says, "I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing." And so Paul concludes in verse 20 with this great word of praise. He says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. You know, the end result of giving is we don't pat ourselves on the back. The end result of giving is we're not congratulating ourselves as to how great we are. The end result of giving is that we say to God, our Father, be glory forever and ever because it is all by His grace that we have been part of this blessing. Think about it. It is by his grace we have anything to give. It is because of his grace that we are motivated to give. It is by his grace that he takes our gifts and uses them for the blessing and ministry of others. And it is by his grace in eternity that he rewards us for the gifts that we have given, gifts that we have given, which were only an expression of his grace to begin with. He multiplies grace in our lives as we partake of the grace of giving. And so I want to say to you this morning, Cornerstone Bible Church, I want to say to you as a shepherd in this church the same sentiment that's in this text and just express to you gratitude for your giving. And just say thank you for your giving. Thank you for your gifts, both big and small. Thank you for giving, whether it was out of a season of prosperity that God has blessed you with, or whether it was a season of affliction and you came with the heart of the poor widow and just brought your two small copper coins, and, and the Lord knows, and he saw, and he was honored, and he was pleased. I want to say thank you for your giving, and I want to affirm to you what is in this text, that your giving was an act of fellowship. Your giving was an expression of love for countless believers, both here and abroad. Your giving was an act of investment. that You were laying up treasures for yourself in heaven, and your giving was, in the end, an act of worship. It was a pleasing sacrifice. It was a fragrant aroma to our God, and I would affirm to you, the members of Cornerstone, that my God, our God, our great and awesome God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together and close our time in prayer. Our Father, in the end, as we look at this text, we are amazed by your grace. We are amazed by your grace because you are the ultimate giver. You loved us so much, you gave your son. if you did not spare your son, how will you not also give us all things? In the end, we are not givers. We are receivers. Even as we receive, give of our resources, we are simply receiving from you more and more grace multiplied in so many ways. And so, Father, we thank you for the faithful giving of this church the last 13 years from the beginning when this church was founded on the gospel until now, so much faithfulness, so much sacrifice, so much generosity. Lord, thank you for your grace. Continue to bless your people, Lord. We cling to your promise. We await the fulfillment of all you've said in your word. And we thank you for the joy of being part of your gospel ministry in this way. Receive from us this morning, not only our gifts, but our hearts of worship, we pray. May it be a fragrant aroma, a pleasing sacrifice unto you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.